Diamonds and crowns have often been thought of as being the birthright of kings and queens of old times. Treasures handed down at will by some or greedily sought after by others. However, some have also coveted them as a ticket to a better life or as a tool that would help them fight their way towards freedom. We're talking about courtesans. You're listening to The Voice of Jewels, a podcast from L'Ecole, School of Jewelry Arts, supported by Van Cleef and Arpels, unveiling the stories and secrets behind history's most fascinating jewels. Amongst the most prominent of courtesans was Jeanne du Barry. Her epic destiny has fascinated many and still does today, as the 2023 Cannes Festival opening motion picture attests. This girl of humble beginnings rose to the rank of countess and even became the king of France's favorite. She went down in history as a champion for writers and artists of the likes of Voltaire and Fragonard, as well as an avid collector of jewelry. Across Versailles, the news has been on everybody's lips. The Bomers, jewelers to the crown, have recently been commissioned by the king to design the most exquisite necklace in the world. It shall be the jewel of all jewels, studded with the largest, most magnificent, most dazzling, and most crystal-clear diamonds destined to adorn the neck of a courtesan. Who is she, you might ask? Her name is Jeanne du Barry. Unable to contain her curiosity, she began making inquiries sending spies to the workshops of the two jewelers in Paris, Place Louis Le Grand. She couldn't wait to find out what this great sparkling necklace, as they called it, was going to look like. The great diamond necklace was made to the Countess of Dubarry is probably the most important, the most beautiful, the most expensive jewel ever created in the Kingdom of France, ever. Leonard Puy, doctor in art history and teacher researcher at L'Ecole School of Jewelry Arts. So this a wonderful necklace, this incredible necklace, was composed by 674 diamonds and used to weight 2,800 carats. You have to remember that one carat is 0.2 grams, so we are talking about half a kilo of diamonds uh, here. So this uh, necklace is so important and so uh, exceptional, it's quite hard to describe it, actually. It was composed by uh, one row of 17 diamonds from 5 to 8 carats, which was uh, closed in the back by some silk bands. There were uh, many solitaire diamonds used as pendant and which were cut in pear shape. And then two uh, more laces, two more pieces. It really looked like a piece of cloth, actually, which was closed as a knot on the shoulders and in the back. And the two uh, bands uh, in the center uh, were uh, crossing each other on the chest with uh, a solitary diamond of 12 carats and pearls, uh, hundreds of pearls, which at that time were almost as expensive per carat than uh, the diamonds. And this piece of jewelry is exceptional on every aspect, both for the quantity, the quality, and the weight of the diamonds. Although its style is called en esclavage, which means enslaved because of the way the diamonds and pearls are layered and bound together, this necklace actually holds the promise of emancipation for Jeanne du Barry. As she envisions this fabulous necklace, she starts reminiscing about her first visit to Versailles three years earlier. That was when the king gave her her very first necklace. 
April 22nd, 1769. The king is expecting her. She purposely walks down the hall of mirrors while her heart keeps pounding beneath her silken gown. We often say that the 17th century is the golden age of Spain, is the golden age of Holland, of the Netherlands. But we never say 17th and 18th century, what we call the Grand Siècle, was the golden age of France. A reason may be that it was probably the age of the diamond. You have to understand that during the time of Versailles, when you would enter Versailles, you would go to the Galerie des Glaces, which was covered with mirrors, some mirrors which were themselves faceted. It was like you were entering a diamond. She catches a glimpse of her own reflection in the mirrors. And for the very first time, she realizes how empowered she feels. She has donned the jewels the king secretly gave her as her wedding gift just weeks earlier. Hers is a marriage of convenience to a penniless navy officer. The fine feathered headdress, stunning pair of girandole earrings, and diamond necklace she is wearing were all duly recorded into her prenuptial agreement along with a green damask bed, 30 gowns, and a dozen of shirts and negligees bestowed upon her by His Majesty himself. A slight smile of anticipation brightens her face. Yes, Louis XV is indeed expecting her. As Jeanne de Barry makes her way down the hallways of the palace, she starts to ponder. After all, I am so much like the king. We are both adored and loathed, preceded by fabrications and hunted down by rumors. The jewels for the favorites, as for any other women in court or any woman who could have jewels, were anchors. Inesita Gay Echo, jewelry historian and teacher at L'Ecole, School of Jewelry Arts. They were elements of stability, empowerment. They were something solid that you owned. And in an environment of such incredibly turbulent times, where fortunes were made and unmade by the moment, a place like Versailles, which was just an ocean of dangers, disasters, any time likely to happen, these jewels were stability. And of course, from beauty came their power, from perceived beauty, and also to have, literally, security. When you could have them for your personal jewels, even if you're married, your husband could go to the gambling tables at Versailles and lose your entire fortune in one evening. But your own jewels you could hang on to and escape with. Oddly enough, the palace seems to have been deserted. The gates of Versailles might have opened, but the scandal surrounding her induction as a countess, which was a mandatory step in order to be accepted at the court, has caused many conservative female aristocrats to shun her arrival. One interesting exception is the Comtesse de Béarn, who chaperones her and manages to get her debt paid off by doing so. But to everyone else, she is but a royal whore, just like Madame de Pompadour was before her. Everyone knows where those sparkling diamonds around her neck came from. But these rumors leave her utterly indifferent. Her necklace is proof this isn't just some fleeting infatuation, but a deliberate testimony to the king's unwavering commitment to her. But Jeanne isn't just a favorite. She isn't the next Madame de Pompadour. She knows she is different. She is the Comtesse de Barry. 
the relationship between diamonds and courtesans or favorites to the court in French history is almost as ancient as old as the presence of diamonds in France itself, given that already in 15th century, at the time of Charles VII, Agnès Sorel was the favorite, and she would be the first lady to wear a diamond ring. She was kind of the equivalent of an influencer at that time, given that she would spread fashion trends in the courts of France and even uh, beyond. And she is known as the very first lady who decided to wear uh, a gold ring with a diamond on it. Jewels are the sole commodity women have the right to own in their own name and to dispose of at will. Jewels may be purchased during opulent times or sold during times of struggle. In a woman's hands, a jewel becomes a currency, an asset that eludes the power of men who think they can control everything. Diamonds are under the control of women, for better or for worse. Her diamond necklace's chatoyancy is beaming. Diamonds give her wings, but could they save her were she to fall from grace? Receiving gifts of jewelry was a lot like getting branded for life with a searing iron. Was the dangerous game Jean de Berry was playing with the king really worth it? You have to remember that uh, the Countess of Dubarry was not from an aristocratic family. She's not a noble, she comes from the people. She just made a, a good wedding. And so for her, jewelry is associated with power, of course. And ever since she met uh, the King Louis XV in 1768, he would cover her with gemstones, with jewelry, with gifts that would make her instantly very, very rich. But the most important gift that he will give to her was uh, made only three years after they met, and he will die before uh, this uh, piece of jewelry, this uh, great necklace, would be uh, made, would be created. She's now standing in the council chamber, greeted with whispers of gossip, but there is no turning back. Jeanne cannot be bothered by the slander that precedes her. She wasn't born to a noble family, it's true. Nothing was given to her at birth. She had to take everything she has. Like the husband she used as a facade in order to enter the court. Like that first diamond necklace that is her key to open the doors of the court. Everything she owns, she had to go get it. The story of Jeanne du Barry, who becomes a countess by marriage, and the story of her diamonds and her jewels, which she loved so much and which were also symbols of her love for Louis XV, most likely, does not have a happy ending. They, of course, incarnated her beauty, her power, and her taste for art. She was a lover and protector of the arts and artists, and her diamonds were a part of that very refined aesthetic identity. The sublime and so precious jewels to her of the Countess de Barry were going to finally cause her demise, or at least contribute to it. Their theft during the revolution would push on to look for them, and in her quest to track them down and find her jewels, she ruined her reputation. And the fact of the existence of this treasure then became publicly known, absolutely listed for everyone to know. And this was 140 huge diamonds, 700 large round diamonds, or brilliance as they were known then, 300 large pearls. And let's remember, 
pearls were without price, perhaps the most precious. Three large sapphires, and I'm sure they were stupendously beautiful, seven large emeralds, and let's not forget the onyx, the rubies, the sardonyx, the enamels, and all the gold jewelry, medallions, necklaces, rings. This was all in the inventory that was made completely public. This would contribute to her arrest and to her ultimate sentencing to the guillotine in 1793. It's very tragic. The Voice of Jewels is a podcast from L'Ecole, School of Jewelry Arts, supported by Van Cleef and Arpels. Written by Martin Quenillon and Aram Kebadjian. Performed by Eduardo Ballerini and produced by Bababam. 